Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I'm the god of the new world. Kira. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode 48 and we're reviewing Death Note Part 3, the final part. As always, there'll be spoilers about this episode, so you've been warned. We did it! After 15 years since the show premiered, we have finally finished Death Note. Yeah, what a rush. What a rush indeed. Full of plot twists and... Plot holes. <laughs> and all sorts of other plot-related things. Before we get into that, I wanted to bring up two interesting things that have happened this week. Or at least two big uh, bombs that were dropped, um, I guess, in the same theme of Death Note dropping bombs on us left and right. The first, really briefly, is the JoJo streaming event. Yes. Where they shared a key visual of JoJo Part 6 and not only that, a trailer. An actual trailer. We got a trailer. And not only that, Whoa. but wait, there's more. They surprised us with a tentative, not tentative, but like, it's it's not the exact release date, but like a general release date. Like an official yeah, release announcement. It's December 2021. And I think I said on the previous episode of Strictly Anime that I was not confident that they would be releasing part six this year. I was like, it's going to be 2022 before we get part six. And shit, I was wrong. And I'm kind of glad I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, technically, it would encompass most of 2022 since it's a winter 2021 release. But there's a caveat there because I believe from the special streaming event, they said that all the episodes would be exclusively available on Netflix in December to be followed by the release on Japanese television a month later. Yeah, um, I don't know how I feel about that. That's interesting. Um, I I would have expected a simulcast at best, um, maybe exclusive to, to Netflix, but simulcast with the actual Japanese premiere. But yeah, I don't know. It, it feels kind of weird. And there's rumors that Netflix may dump all of the episodes at once, like do a whole series, series whole season release at once um, mm. on or whatever, whenever in December 2021. And I kind of hope that doesn't happen because and this is coming from a binge watcher, right? I kind of enjoy the hype that we go through every single week kind of as a fan base anticipating what's going to happen next it'll be slightly different for me this time around just because i've read part six manga but there's still you know there's still excitement there there's still things to discover each week and if they just release the entire season in one go that kind of takes away from that yeah i would say there's a, a little bit of magic to anticipating a weekly release kind of like what we did with attack on titan um, yeah, can you imagine if they just gave us all of Attack on Titan final yeah. season at once? Like, that would be a shitstorm. <laughs> right, and, like, there's that sense of community that comes together when, you know, everyone's waiting for your next episode to come out or for the current cliffhanger to be addressed. But, again, knowing Netflix likes to just release all its episodes for any show at once, um, it, it kind of takes away from that. And I doubt Netflix is going to renege on that because, again, this is their business model. They just want to throw out all these shows for people to binge watch like in one sitting. But with Shaman King, because Shaman King's the opposite. It came out on Japanese television first, and then it's coming out on Netflix in November or something. I think it 
actually just released. Oh, I don't know why I thought November. Um, but was that like a full release? It can't be because isn't Shaman King still airing? Maybe they're just doing it in parts, kind of like with Great Pretender. Mm. But still, like it, it's bulk episodes enough for them to to fill up a good chunk of someone's day binge watching. I feel like the Japanese audience is going to be completely spoiled if they don't have. Well, okay, assuming that Netflix is also airing it in Japan which I would assume would be the case. Either way, if it's for a Japanese audience member who does not have Netflix, like you're going to be bombarded with spoilers if they just do a full season release right away. And plus and that 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 pressures everyone to watch the entire season as fast as possible mm-hmm. to avoid spoilers, which is one of what our one item that one of our friends called out about, you know, the downsides to Netflix doing that. But either way, I I'm, I'm just excited that it's going to be coming out much sooner than I anticipated, and I can't wait. And if you're a big JoJo fan, make sure you join us over on Strictly JoJo when the show premieres in December because we will be doing weekly reviews of Part 6. Even if they do an entire season dump all at once, we're still going to do weekly reviews of every single episode of Part 6. Although I'm sure we're probably going to binge watch it if all the episodes release at once. You know what? We'll binge watch it and then <laughs> and we'll then, watch yeah. it again for our reviews. <laughs> In other news, apparently we're, we're turning into a, a news podcast for anime. Um, the other bomb that was dropped on us this week was Crunchyroll and Funimation's announcement that Funimation has acquired Crunchyroll and they will now be under one roof, under one big family umbrella of some sort. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know because... Sony owns Funimation, so there was this whole legal battle leading up to this moment um, in regards to whether or not um, Sony was establishing like this monopoly over the anime streaming industry. Yeah, weren't they delayed in general because the government was kind of looking into that? Yeah, it's that antitrust law, which I feel is kind of a moot point now because many companies, I feel, <laughs> are already like monopolies in some sense, but... Yeah, I guess Sony's legal team was able to overcome those hurdles, and now we're getting this combined streaming or yeah, streaming service, I guess, with Funimation and Crunchyroll, which has its pros and its cons. I feel like just browsing the community, you know, thought pool here, that the majority of people are kind of hesitant about this acquisition, and I get why. So I think on on the the pro side of things. It would be great to have access to more anime um, while hopefully, theoretically, um, only having one subscription service that hopefully doesn't have an increased price because mm-hmm. they're they're merging or whatever. Um, but the cons here that a lot of people are calling out is that Funimation has a history of um, censorship as well as, I guess, on the dub side of things, um, a history of politicizing some of their dubs. And that's concerning. And then um, I think there's also the concerns around global reach. Um, some people are hoping that with this acquisition, more anime will be available in more countries. But I guess even Funimation's announcement, their press release on their website, wasn't even accessible by certain people in certain countries because it would just hmm. say, they click the link and it'd be like, sorry, this content's not available in your region. And that alone's a big red flag. If the press release itself is inaccessible, then how can anyone hope that anime or certain anime will finally make it to their country yeah i know on that note there's a lot of like licensing um issues that come to mind too so even if these services were to combine who knows if we'll actually 
you know get to see most of the anime that we're missing from either service um and it's probably going to take some time too even though like this has been established as of a day ago um just to see what their the rollout is going to be whether or not they do want to combine services so i don't know it would be kind of shitty if they didn't yeah but who knows we'll we'll wait and see what happens um i just hope the the outcome here is that more anime is available to more people around the world that would be great or we just go back to sailing the seven seas. (laughs) (laughs) i know there's a lot of memes out there right now about uh sailing the seven seas and everyone becoming a pirate after this announcement but anyways on to the main event the big topic for this podcast episode which is the final part of death note oh my god we have done it we've watched death note in its entirety and what a fucking wild ride yeah two parts or i guess in our case three parts but yeah it was just a huge rush from start to finish and to kind of focus particularly on again we're calling this part three it's technically part two um i thought it recaptured a bit of the magic that we saw in the first 13 episodes or or part one and there were like some minor issues here and there but as i called it i saw light tragically meet his demise in very spectacular fashion (laughs) and just coming down from his godly pedestal like or tumbling down i want to say from his godly pedestal yeah he did fall over quite a quite a number of times in that last episode Mm mm-hmm I think that the show in its entirety is uh, like overall absolutely fantastic. I mean, I keep praising it over and over again, how well written it is, um, how tightly written it is, just how brilliant um, everything unfolded. It's not perfect by any means. There are some flaws that I'm sure we'll we'll bring up um, at some point. But again, looking at it holistically, I mean, I understand why this is the number one popular anime on my anime list. Um, and why it's had such a, a strong fan base behind it and why it's basically considered an anime classic. Yeah, I can definitely understand the hype now too as much as I don't really like using <laughs> the word hype. And I think the other thing that I just enjoy about this, and you, this was a term that you used yesterday when the show wrapped up, is that it's just an epic dick scheming match through and through <laughs> it is it is a dick scheming match it's just between well first it was between light and l and now it's between light and near mm-hmm. and you know as as much as that's probably a trope now in, in anime like i just love seeing those kinds of things and figuring out how one character is able to get out of a situation or trump the other uh like their foil although I know we're probably going to talk a bit about the the ending and try to like explain our way through that one. Oh, we're going to talk a lot about yeah. the ending. <laughs> but I mean, other than that, again, the show was just consistently giving us highs, even with that weird Yotsuba arc in the middle. Um, I still found myself wanting to watch more of this thriller as it went on. I do want to comment... Um... My, some overall thoughts on this final part. Um, again, so let me let me pause here. This final part of our review series for Death Note is going to be on episodes 27 to 37. So in thinking of, of that final section after L dies and we're introduced to Mello and Nier, um, I feel like it's, I don't know if I want to say it's the weakest of the, the three sections, I guess. 
um, or the weakest arc of of Death Note, it just had a different vibe to it. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a different feeling, and I think it was because El's gone. Um, he he is such an important character, and he brings a certain energy to the show, um, and has this very unique rivalry with with Light, rivalry slash friendship, I guess, um, with Light that we just don't get from Mellow and Near. Like it's just a straight up rivalry there's no there's nothing else to it when it comes to near versus light but there are some complexities that we we did have you know between light and l yeah i think you also mentioned this um when we watched the last episode is that us not knowing too much about death note going into watching this series we know that the community would always rally around light and l and for good reason, as you had mentioned. But yeah, I think one of the downsides with this part is that it has a lot of these minor characters that end up playing significant roles, but again, we don't have that connection to them as we did with L. Um, because again, L was the main, you could call him antagonist, <laughs> protagonist, however you want to see it, whoever's team you are on, for 26 episodes. And then for these last 11, we have Mello and Nier who are on the same like intellectual wa- wavelength as L. But again, I don't feel any sort of connection or empathy with them. Although, again, it, it's nice that they were able to get a win for him, get a, get a W for L <laughs> at the very end. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll jump right over to that. So I guess the, the reason that I feel different about this final part is because um near Mello, mikami and is it kiyomi or is it takata because they say takata in the show but in the subs they say kiyomi are we going with with takata or with kiyomi in my synopsis i refer to her as takata but... okay we'll go with takata so near Mello, mikami and takata just don't hit the same as like ryuk rem misa and l or even like ray pember and <laughs> ray pember <Yeah>, <laughs> Um, on like to to what you mentioned earlier, yeah, I'd never ever ever heard of Near or Mellow in the fifteen years that people have been telling me to watch Death Note. I've forever heard about those four: Ryuk, Rem, Misa, and, and L plus Light. Um, but I didn't even know that the show took this kind of turn. I had no clue that there was like a whole last arc with a bunch of new characters, um, and that L wasn't even in the picture. Well, you know, props to me, I guess, for not being spoiled for 15 years that L yeah. dies. <laughs> um, but regardless, like, I think the reason that they don't hit the same and that things feel different is because these new characters don't make as much of an impact um, as those original characters, and they just have no endearing qualities about them, which is probably why I, as the audience member, can't connect with them as much as that original cast. So I, I don't. You know, I don't want to knock these characters. They're still pretty interesting, especially Mikami. I think he's probably the most interesting of the new cast. But yeah, I just, I don't find them to be endearing or relatable or connectable. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you think about it, like Ryuk is a Shinigami, but he's very endearing because he's goofy and he plays the neutral party despite, you know, Light being the person he's connected to. Rem's endearing because she falls in love with Misa and, and sacrifices herself to be with Misa and wants to make sure that Light does everything he can to protect her. Misa's endearing because she's Misa, right? Like, no explanation there. And then L is also endearing because 
he has these very human moments where you know he calls light one of his first friends and he gets his people say it's his first kiss i don't know but he gets a a cute kiss from misa and establishes a, a relationship with her and he's always goofy in his behavior when he's kind of thinking about things when it comes to the the kira case playing with his food or handing mogi a strawberry to put in his pocket things like that you don't get that with any of these other characters i would say mikami has one endearing quirk about him and that's how much he loves light uh, as god Mm -hmm. i i'll bring this up again but um one of my favorite parts of mikami's is when he finally sees light and realizes that that's god he's just like kami like he just gets so excited it's really kind of cute as as messed up as it is um and i know that Nier is always playing with his toys in a similar fashion to how l always play with his food but it just wasn't as special there, there was just like no magic there when he was playing with his creepy toys so all in all it's it's pretty interesting to me that this is a a brand new part um you know, in its entirety to me and all these characters just, they just don't hit as hard. They just don't make a lasting impression. Yeah, I think it's more so that this part takes a bit of a darker turn just to emphasize Light's tragic downfall. So again, as I mentioned earlier, this part tries to recapture a bit of the magic that was lost during the Yotsuba arc. But I think it puts a lot of those qualities that we loved about the first part away in order to serve again this this dark conclusion to light's story um and you can even see that reflected in the like commercial breaks because now i think the commercial breaks used to have like these blue title cards but now it's shifted to red indicating a shift in tone oh yeah that's right and i will one last thing too i will say near is just a discount l like there's just no way. I, I mean, he he's an interesting character. I I do enjoy his character, but he's just a discount L. He won on a fucking fluke, and that's all I'll say. We'll talk about it when we get there. But mm-hmm. you know, do have to call that one out. I would say the one thing I do like about Nier is that he plays with Legos. Oh yeah, that's true. He did play <laughs> Me with Legos. Me being an avid um, Lego hobbyist, but yeah, it it's hard to to see Nier and take the W when I think a lot of us agree that we would have loved to see Al at the very end take that win. Let's go ahead and dive into our synopsis and discussion for Death Note Part 3, or Part 2 if you want to be technical. So to begin, Death Note is a 2006-2007 anime series based on the manga series of the same name written by Sugumi Oba and illustrated by Takeshi Obata. In the final part of the series, set five years after the events of the last part, College student-turned-criminal investigator Light Yagami basks in the glory of Kira's grip over the world with his godly sense of justice until a contingency plan set forth by his deceased foil, L seeks to dismantle his glorious purpose. Wink and nod to Loki there. (laughs) (laughs) In episode 27, Abduction, after Mr. Roger tells the double whammies of L's death, blonde-haired orphan Mellow Yellow decides to pursue Kira Queen on his own with the help of the American Mafia, because why the fuck not, while white-haired orphan Nier allies with President America and the FBI to form the Special Provision for Kira Task Force, or SPK. Which brings us back into present day, where Mellow Yellow kidnaps Japan's police director and demands that Light's task force give up the death note in exchange for his life. Light figures his life ain't worth shit and snuffs the director, so Mello goes f- next for Light's sister, Sayu, and sends her to a land of scum and villainy, Los Angeles, California. 
as Light ponders whether his sister's life is worth shit. Nier contacts his task force and calls bullshit on the real Al still being alive, knowing that no one could ever replace that Hikikomori bastard and his creepy ass feet. Can I just say something unrelated to episode 27 that I just thought of? You know how there's that meme that um, compares Light's outfit to SpongeBob's outfit, and they're basically the same outfit? Mm -hmm. I also just thought of that episode of SpongeBob where Patrick um, gets accused of the crime, and he's like, I was looking for me the whole time. It's the perfect crime. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's kind of light in this entire situation. Now that he's a, he's part of the police force, and his, oh. well, I, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but when his, when his dad dies, and he basically becomes the head of the Kira task force, but he is Kira. It's like, he was looking for himself the whole time. It's the perfect crime. <laughs> Anyway, on to episode 27. So, yes, we meet Mello and Nier, um, which is L-M-N. Lemon. <laughs> and learn that they come from the same orphanage as L and that these two hate each other. And Nier is basically a discount L, not only in thought process, but also in appearance. And Mello is just a freaky chocolate eater. And... Far from Mello, like the actual yeah. <laughs> adjective. And with the time skip... The task force isn't any closer to finding Kira, lo and behold, because Light is fucking Kira. Um, so then Sayu gets kidnapped, and my one thought was, does Light really feel concerned for his sister, or is he concerned for his own safety as Kira, which we get a, a, an answer to in the next episode. Um, and then Ryu comes out and says that things are starting to get interesting again. And I will say, um, I agree with Ryu there, because this first episode of this arc this this last arc hit really hard i mean they went like right out of the gate with Melo doing some crazy ass shit um and kidnapping everyone left and right yeah the one thing i wanted to comment on with the two orphans is this kind of i guess in a way brings up another religious or more mythological um connection is like there's the legend of the hydra which i think is in greek mythology or even if you watch any of the Marvel cinematic movies that reference Hydra, it's kind of parallel to like the rise of Nier and Mellow in Elle's place because it's, you know, cut off the head and two more will grow in its place. And that's what happens in this part. So as much as Light thinks he has defeated his most formidable enemy, there's another threat that still lingers in the darkness at this point. And Again, to your point, that's where Ryuk says things are starting to cook again, or are getting, are cooking up again. <laughs> <laughs> starting to get interesting again. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing that I wanted to comment on, I guess not just for this episode, but even moving forward in this part, it seems like a lot of the characters start to get drawn very oddly or animated very oddly. Um, I think when the task force was talking about the Kira investigation and Sayu comes in. I just noticed that some of the characters' eyes or even drawings of them in the background just look very off. Yeah, the animation was really bad um, in episode 27 in particular. Uh, I don't know if it was just like a budget thing or what, but yeah, it was uh, kind of off for yeah. sure. Especially, I noticed more that Misa, I get that she's older and maybe that's the thing that they want to roll with, but Misa just also looks very weirdly drawn in this part um and it just has very exaggerated features or even the angle of her head 
um it again it's animated very weird i don't know if like it was just again budget constraints or they just wanted to save that budget for the final episode which also just had weird animation quality issues until i think light's last scene where they really spent all their money i guess i felt like the last episode's animation was fine i think that they went ham on mikami's ugly faces <laughs> yeah but i thought overall it was fine for for a final episode i thought it was good at animation quality but 20 episode 27 definitely had some weird shots where people look real janky mm -hmm. so maybe again they were just trying to sacrifice the animation quality of these episodes to save for those those juicy shots in in the final <laughs> episode in episode 28, Impatience, Nier offers to help the lowercase l in rescuing Sayu, but gives Light full authority over the situation. Chief Yagami is tasked with transporting the Death Note to LA, but Mellow Yellow's cronies intercept his route and drop him off in the middle of a Tatooine desert and into an underground facility, which prevents Light from keeping tabs on him. The Chief exchanges the Death Note with a masked man for Sayu's life, and Light's task force grapples with trying to retrieve the notebook from either a launched missile or a helicopter fleeing from the facility. Meanwhile, Nier's SPK team starts dropping like flies with the Death Note in Mellow Yellow's possession, and informs Light that his conniving counterpart may try to beat them in getting to Kira faster than the speed of Light. But um, tss. Meanwhile, meanwhile, in the Shinigami realm, a death god named Shido tells his acquaintance, acquaintance Ammonia Justin, that he plans to take back his Death Note that Ryuk, quote-unquote, borrowed, as it is long past overdue from the Shinigami Public Library. So I get the answer to my my question in episode 27, whether or not Light has concern for Sayu um, and her current status of, you know, being kidnapped. And we do see some concern from him, right? But it's only because he's concerned about his own well-being. In his inner monologue, he reveals he may have to kill Sayu. And then later he hesitates and says he can't do it. Making you think for a second that it's because, you know, it's his sister. But then he says it's because he cares, or not, not that he cares about her, but because the task force is the only group that knows about her kidnapping. And if Kira kills her, then it narrows down the, the suspects to someone on the task force. And I was like, damn, Light, you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think this, I know I've been throwing this question around um, for the last two parts of our Death Note review series. And it's whether we consider Light the anti-hero, the anti-hero, or the villain of the series. And this final part certainly makes it very obvious that he is the villain here yes he may have some good intentions and all that but he's not a good person by any stretch of the imagination he just wants to to me it's like he wants to rule the world um, under the guise that he's actually trying to save the world from all the bad things and he's successful in doing it but all in all i say he's pretty much the villain yeah, I think the whole thing with whether or not he cares for Sayu's well-being is kind of like a stepping stone to what we see with the Chief's um, eventual demise. And probably talk about that later, which I think is in the, yeah, in the very next episode. But it just shows that even with that familial or blood connection, Light is only out there to to seek what's best for himself. Yeah, because like if he were at all concerned with anyone, any other human being's actual well-being, um, if he had any compassion at all, I could see him falling into the the camp of anti-hero. But he he like very clearly, if he doesn't even care about his own family, who 
at least from you know to our knowledge hasn't wronged him then there's no he actually cares about the well-being of the world's population he just wants to be sitting at the top calling judgment yeah but that's a, a whole other discussion that we could have but for episode 28 um i did also note that Mello is basically another kira now because he goes and kills a bunch of people using the death note making it a technical three kiras by this point in the um in the show and I'm like, can't he be arrested for murder now, too, whether or not he solves this case? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, I was saying, like, Mel is the wild card of the tr- like the L trio. But, yeah, I never really thought about that until you, you brought that up. I also was expecting big things from Mello. Again, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but I was expecting big things from Mello because he was such a thorn in both near and light side for these first several episodes of the final part. And then he just kind of vanished for a while. And then he resurfaced at the end for like one hot moment, one one like redeeming moment for his character. And then that was it. Like they were amping him up to be a real pain in the ass to this investigation. And he was for a little while and then he just wasn't anymore. So I was kind of slightly disappointed in that. I thought that they would at least kind of like give us, give him a real reason to bow out of this race to find Kira, but he just kind of stops after he gets half his face blown off. Yeah, I would say Mello's only peppered in if it's significant to the plot at hand. Um, I can kind of see him almost acting as a red herring um, because I think Light kind of overlooked the fact that he was just a wild card that needed to be dealt with. Um, not knowing that later on Mel would play a significant role. But yeah, I would say he is significantly downplayed in this part compared to Nier, which is, I guess, both a benefit and a disadvantage. Um, Is this also the episode where they had the fucking missile come out of nowhere? Yes. And my note there was, how does the American Mafia have this kind of access to facilities and weaponry. <laughs> I also just thought, like, this is a wild way to start this introduction to Mello. <laughs> like, this guy is insane. It, it was a fun ride. Honestly, this whole this whole first part with Mello um, trying to get the notebook was, was pretty enjoyable. And it's the first time Light has gotten frustrated since his original meeting with L. Remember when he first met L and L just came out and said, I'm L? Mm-hmm. Like, hi, bitch, I'm L. Um, and then he goes home and in his bedroom, he gets like actually pissed off. This was, I think, the the first time since then that he like actually, you know, showed us some frustration, not just, you know, some concern that maybe his plan wasn't going to work out. Like, he was actually frustrated um, and for good reason, because a missile came out of the ground and launched the death <laughs> note somewhere he couldn't track. I'd be pretty frustrated, too. Yeah, it's a very rare instance of Light not having control over the situation. And I think we commented on this in our part two discussion is that everything in that part just seemed to go so well for, again, what when we eventually found out that the whole Yotsuba arc was basically like Light's gamble and it paid off well and successfully. But then here it's him facing again, an obstacle that and a challenge that he can't overcome, which just harkens back to the point that Mello and later on Nier are just not to be trifled with, um, as was the case with L, because again, harkening back to my hydro metaphor, you cut off the head, but two more will appear. So yeah, Light has lost this battle, 
but will he win the next battle? <laughs> <laughs> also, one quick question by this point in this new this final arc. Are there now three Death Notes or four? I was kind of losing track. Because I, I feel like this is when we, we get um, a soft introduction to Sido or Shido. Mm. And he mentions he wants his notebook back. But Ryuk should have his own notebook being a Shinigami. And then you got Rem's notebook. It's just the three notebooks that are still in play, right? I think so. Mm, but now but I'm like second guessing myself. Because it's okay. So it's Ryuk's notebook plus the one that he stole from from um, from Sido or Shido. And then Rem's notebook. And then Jealous's notebook. Okay. So wait, how many is that? That should be four notebooks. Okay. So like thinking about this. Misa has Jealous's notebook. Rem had her notebook on her until she died, and then Light took it. And then Light has, I guess, technically, Sido's notebook, and then Ryuk has his own notebook. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, yeah, that's the four. I think what's really cool about this, the show, is that there's this all-powerful weapon, uh, the Death Note, and there's not just one of them. There's four that we're introduced to, plus there could be many more. And I, I kind of like that. I love that there's not just like this one thing, right? You always hear about, you know, this one powerful weapon in a show. One or, ring to rule them all. Sure, that thing too, yeah. <laughs> um, but here it's like you don't just have the one. They could just toss in more and then it really complicates things. So it's I, I kind of like that concept. I don't know. Yeah, and cool. we also just see how this you know, morbid power is used by people with different personalities and I know that the lore of the show, one of the rules of the Death Note mentions that only six can be active at one time on Earth. Um, so even if there were more, I think after the six, after that maximum is reached, then the other ones are just moot. That is a very high number, like unexpectedly high. I would have thought that maybe like two or three at most can mm -hmm. be used at the same time. Um, but the fact that they went with six is like, I don't know, it just seems like it's not a lot, right? But it, it feels like a lot of notebooks all mm -hmm. at play at once. And that is also another, you know, props to the writer that they even made that rule because they didn't need to. They also didn't need to make it six. They could have made it four for the four that were active, um, you know, throughout the show. But no, they went and said six. They, they made a rule just, just for the shit of making a rule. And actually, while we're on that aside, I was trying to look up a, a list of all the Death Note rules, and there's a DeviantArt um, post about it, and there's, like, lines and lines of these. And <laughs> I don't know. I think one kind of downfall is that the show only explores, like, key rules, um, but it doesn't really delve into these other ones, which I think would have brought up interesting storylines. Um but again, I'm not going to go through this exhaustive list. Just find some uh, fanfics. Right. <laughs> I'm sure there's like a whole Death Note universe that exists in, in the fanfic realm. I'm sure a lot of those rules were kind of supplanted into the way Light used the notebook. Like maybe, I'm just guessing here, maybe one of the rules says that, you know, there's a certain limitation to what someone, what the Death Note user can have someone do before they die, right? They didn't come out and say that was a rule, but like discovered it was a rule 
um, or a limitation of the Death Note while he was experimenting with it in the, the earlier part of the show. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing maybe some of those rules are just written down based on what Light showed us throughout the the series. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Um, one more thing in regards to episode 28 that I thought was significant is this is the first we've seen of the Shinigami realm in quite some time. And I thought that in this final part, the Shinigami realm would play a bigger role in the story. But as we've come to see, like it's sidelined here and it only serves as like a sort of cameo appearance. Um, And I would say like they could have used it to fully address like the consequences of Ryuk's actions with messing around with these death notes, right? Um, But here it's only an appearance and then we get this one-off Shinigami who I, I said his name was Ammonia Justin as a joke but his real name is Armonia Justin which is the weirdest thing because you have names like Jealous or Ram or Shido and then you have Armonia Justin yeah <laughs> like why is he have this almost regal sounding name while everyone else just has these sounds that sound like something you dropped on the stairs why does he have like an american name right it's just the weirdest thing um but yeah that was one thing that felt like a small flaw with the series as a whole is that we get the shinigami realm but they don't really do anything with it in episode 29 father sayu is now wheelchair bound but anyways light uses the death note to force a mellow mobster to disclose their hideout a sneaky Sido catches the address and visits Mellow Yellow, revealing that the 13-day rule is fake news. Light creates anime schemes anew by giving up ownership of his Death Note and barring Misa So Hornies. Meanwhile, the latter poses as Kira Queen and informs the task force that she will give them her Death Note and that the stolen one can be retrieved on November 10th at Hotel Melofornia after the mob's untimely deaths. Dun dun dun! Chief Yagami receives Kira Queen's death note, makes the deal with Ryuk for the Shinigami Eyes power-up, and storms Melo's compound with a task force on the arranged date to apprehend Melo. Chief finds his real name to be Mihail Kiel, but is fatally wounded after trying to negotiate with the monstrous mobster who escapes within the explosive chaos. Chief Yagami passes away in the hospital, but rests easy knowing that Light could not be Kira Queen since he can see his lifespan. A manically depressed Light returns Shido's notebook to him, and the Shinigami flies off, wanting no part in this fuckery. Okay, so a couple of quick things here. Um, I love the interactions between Shido and Ryuk. <laughs> like yes. when Ryuk's yelling at him to stop following him. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. And then um, Shinigami designs, they're so great. I love the Shinigami designs because every other character, you know, in, in the human world is just a basic person. You may have like one or two flashy outfits from Misa or from Mello, but everyone else is just plain as day. And I really appreciate that they took the time to give each Shinigami a very, very distinct look um and uh a great personality to go along with that because shido looks fucking weird like some weird crab thing with these gnarly teeth and stuff and it just it makes no sense but i think he's got a really cool design yeah i would say the shinigami just really steal the show when they are given their due and to your point about their appearances for being these demonic creatures they oddly inject a lot of like needed humor and like (laughs) comic relief and I just love, again, the scene where Shido's following Ryuk 
and demands his notebook back. I wrote in my notes that this is kind of like a, a Looney Tunes scene. And even with the, <laughs> the music that plays, there's like this really comical saxophone that just, again, takes you out of like the the dark tones of, of the series at this point. And yeah, I would say like Sido has become one of my favorite characters, like besides Ryuke, of course. <laughs> and another quick thought too, just watching Shido go through the motions of getting his notebook back seeing what's happening around him and not giving a shit about it like if you think about it at the human world level this is really important stuff i mean we're going through an entire series just to catch the guy who's killing all these people and like it's changing the entire world but at like the shinigami level they don't give a shit they're like okay i got my notebook back i'm gonna leave now even though all this wild stuff is happening around them and same with ryuk at the end he's kind of like well that was a fun ride i'll see you later and then just you know that's it like he just leaves um, they just do not care. Like, none of this stuff's important to them. It's kind of like when you get older and you look back at high school. And when you were in high school, <laughs> all of that shit, all that drama that happened was so important to you. It was like your entire world. And then you get older and you're like, yeah, none of that was important. And that was really silly. And I don't know why I gave a shit about any of that. Except in this case, it's people's lives. Yeah, which is not to downgrade that part, of course. But... Shinigami, mm-hmm. the, all their their whole being is about death. So to them, it's just natural. It's it's part of their job. They don't they're unfazed by it, and mm-hmm. we see that very much so here with Shido. I think the only thing that phases him is when you get that really weird shot of Mello's face, where like it's stretched. It's like that anime like um, fisheye lens, where like yeah. his eyes go all wild, and then he's like, "Oh my god, this human is really scary." <laughs> yeah, I would say in. In this sense of, of our discussion, Ciro's the smartest being in the show by just staying out of <laughs> out of this madness. Because again, he's just there to pick up his notebook and then go back to the boring Shinigami realm. Yeah, he took one look at Mello and was like, fuck this, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> so onto the episode itself. Um, we see Light treating Misa like shit and really manipulating the fuck out of her using her, her love for him. And I think it's the first time in the show where one of their interactions between Light and Misa actually put a sour taste in my mouth. Just the way that, you know, she was like, oh, I did a good job, right? And he was like, yes, you did a great job. I love you. Only because she fulfilled exactly what he instructed her to do. And it it just was like gross, I think. And And this is another moment where I'm like, damn, he really is the villain. He's really shitty. <laughs> and then to make matters worse... His dad dies, and he doesn't give a shit. It's crazy. I mean, were we really expecting anything less than this? No, but mm-hmm. it's really shitty to see it actually unfold. Um, Light loses his cool once again, and you know things really aren't going according to his plans. I mean, for the most part, they were up until his dad decided not to kill somebody because it's not in his nature to kill somebody like that. So Light's already freaking out. And then in the hospital room... He spends the entire time, his the entire time his father's, you know, in his last moments of life, strategizing on how to get his dad to kill Mello, even though he's on his deathbed. I'm like, bruh, that's that's so bad. That's just so wrong. So between his dad's death and his relationship with Misa and what we saw earlier with how he approached Sayu's kidnapping, we really get front row seats to how awful Light is by this point in the story. Yeah, I guess... Going back to his father, I think it was interesting that 
like we we all witness um chief making the deal with the shinigami eyes with ryu and light doesn't bat an eye i mean granted the chief is older and he's he's more likely to die yeah um compared to light's age but still it's like you just watched your father like inherit a death sentence and you feel no regret about it i have a quick question how many days passed from when he made the deal with ryuk to when he died i thought it was immediate right oh wait yeah yeah, he makes it the day that they go to the facility so then by the rules of the death note he actually was only supposed to live two days more but he cut his lifespan in half by Mm. making the deal with ryuk and he lived one day more instead (laughs) is that what we're is that what we're getting at here i guess unless (laughs) i don't know how old the chief was maybe his expected lifespan was 80 right or assuming that the chief is in like his late 40s or something and so by taking the eyes that just halves his lifespan to what his current age is which is why he died so suddenly in this episode oh i thought it was like lifespan as in like the number of days you have left to live like misa's gonna live like so Mm. super long right so she could have like i don't know she could be she could be stabbed by somebody but theoretically she has to live because her lifespan is so long the only way she can really die is if someone writes her name in the death note whether that's a human or a shinigami that's my understanding of how it all works um that she's going to live a very fucking long time so if that theory is correct then if light's dad died one day within like a 24-hour period after making the deal with Ryuk, then prior to making the deal with Ryuk, he, he was already going to die within 48 hours. That's my understanding of how this all works. But I could be completely wrong because this is always big brain time. Yeah, I just thought it was more in terms of like the years. So that's why it made sense in my mind that he, again, just died so suddenly after taking the deal. Well, maybe somebody listening can help explain how the fuck the whole lifespan thing works and how it's calculated in Death Note because now I'm confused. Now I'm wondering, like, am I onto something or am I completely making shit up? (laughs) And one other thing I wanted to highlight, I think we talked about there was an instance before where we saw Light and his father kind of acting um, or having the same ideology. I guess in terms of, like, the, the gun's aren't allowed in japan thing yeah but then in this episode right when light expects um his father to to kill off mellow we see the chief actually harken back to his ideologies about justice and that's the the one difference between light and his father because chief yagami again champions this equitable justice but light just wants to go in for the kill and at the very end again seeing um seeing the chief somewhat confirm that his son isn't light is or his son isn't kira it's just kind of sad because that's not the truth and and your son really is a shitty person yeah it is really sad but at the very least the silver lining here is that he dies thinking that he's confirmed that light isn't kira and that you know as ryuk said he died happy which is I guess not possible or at least unusual for people who use the death note. They usually die very unhappy or tragic deaths, at least from what Ryuk was saying. And I think the loophole here is that since Light's father didn't use the death note, 
he can still technically go to heaven or hell. And I'd like to think so. The, oh, well, heaven anyway. The, yeah, the former. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think that the the guy died happy and that he gets to go to heaven because I would be sad if he didn't. I mm-hmm. liked his character. Because, yeah, even Ryuk, his final line, I think, in the episode is, humans who use the notebook are cursed with pain, fear, and misery. But I guess that wasn't really the case for Chief, but Chief... Although he he died. <laughs> well, he died and his daughter got kidnapped. Um, so that's a little sad. But mm-hmm. he did save her. So that's okay. Yeah. Maybe it was fine at the end. In episode 30, Justice, President America surrenders to Kira Queen's will on a TV broadcast as a scarred Mellow Yellow acquires an audience with Nier through SPK agent Hal Lidner, wanting to retrieve his Nickelback photograph to avoid being snuffed by Kira Queen. In return, Mello reveals the existence of the Shinigami and the fake news rules of the Death Note. Nier proposes to the Kira Queen Task Force that they test the 13-day rule on Mellow Yellow, but everyone is too chicken shit to say yes. Light, however, mans up by calling up President America to get more info on the SBK or his term will end earlier than expected. Kira's unofficial spokesperson, Demigawa, has the same idea as he incites the Kira Queen legions to head to SPK's New York headquarters and dismantle the oppressive establishment board by board. So I know by this episode, Nier is closing in on light, um, but really the only note that I had is that this episode shows us the support that Kira has and that Light's plan is actually kind of working. Crime is significantly down. Uh, many people feel they can live peaceful, peaceful, safer lives. Um, however, the principle of what Kira is doing still remains a thorn in everyone's side because it's still technically wrong. But it's interesting that Masuda also starts to understand why people would support Kira and admits that he kind of supports him on some level too, but he's still a detective at the end of the day and wants to, you know, do right do the right thing and and bring him to justice. So I think that's the key takeaway with this episode is that as much as we see all these shitty things that Light's doing, his overall plan is actually working and it is benefiting society, even if it means mass murder. Yeah, I think it that's just kind of a commentary on like the fanaticism that we see in in certain groups that just adhere to this ideology as as twisted as it might be from the outside. But I think the next episode kind of takes that and then lets it crumble. And I think it's just the funniest thing. Um, the only note I really had about this episode is there's a JoJo reference, and that's with the Death 13 card. Oh, yeah. Death 13. So, again, I, I don't know if that's intentional, but I just... <laughs> watching JoJo, like I, I see all these things now and wonder if it is a JoJo reference. In episode 31, Transfer, as Kira Queen's merry band of mob cycles storms SPK's headquarters, Misa so horny keeps her eyes peeled on the TV broadcast to make Nier go far away with the Death Note once he shows face. Zawardo's apprentice detective makes a plea for the Kira Queen task force to once again be sus of light as the SPK distracts the mob from their escape by making it rain Benjamins. Light comes... Buyers with Misa so horny over a new plan as Aizawa leaks info to Nier about their previous suspicions regarding Light. He proposes keeping Light and Misa under surveillance again, to which the former agrees. However, Aizawa's suspicions are thrown into disarray as Kira kills Demigawa for his greediness on live television, even with the pair under close watch as the fourth not-Kira queen enters the fray. Teru Mikami, 
the new owner of Mesa's Death Note and king of the delete button. So the one thing that I, the the thing I pointed out earlier with you know this crazy mob, is they just suddenly change once they start to see the money fall from the sky, <laughs> and it just shows you like sometimes where human priorities lie, where you know we can champion seeking justice, but then eventually, like in some cases, you just want to serve yourself. As they're, again, they're so quick to change their attention. Yeah, something more interesting comes along, and they're like, okay. Sounds very, uh, very present day. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the other funny thing about this situation is, um, as they're observing it, Matsuda is so concerned about how much money is floating out there, and he thinks he guesses like ten million. And then Ryuk chimes in and asks, "What's that in apples?" <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, another great source of comic relief. I don't really have much to say about this episode. I did really appreciate. Um, Mikami being a fucking Chad and bringing back the dramatic notebook writing scenes, but like mm-hmm. amplified with his delete one liner, kind of whipping his body side to side. I did very much enjoy that. It, it felt reminiscent of Light's epic chip scene. I'll take a chip <laughs> and eat it. Um, but for me, I I think what's super fascinating about the way Death Note is written, and we really get a sense of that when Nier's closing in on, on L, um, or Light in this case, being the actual Kira, is that from pretty much the beginning of the show, they were almost spot on with cracking the case. Like, they were, they have been on Light's tail, they being L and Nier, um, pretty much the entire show. And mm-hmm. when do you ever get that? Right. Like this isn't like trying to solve a a typical mystery where you don't really know anything and they're not close to solving the case until right at the very end. They're close to solving the case from like episode three. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They just knew the entire time. They just needed that bit of solid proof in order to confirm their theories. Them again being L and near. So it's it's this wild ride because they were right there the entire fucking time. But Light is so clever and so cunning that he was able to just buy himself enough time to allow six years to pass, basically, since he got the Death Note. Mm-hmm. So I just have to call that out. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think that really hit home for me until Nier was already like, yeah, it's whoever this L person is, this new L, they're Kira. They're Kira, and I'm going to prove it. I'm like, shit, they're, they're back on his tail already. Yeah, it's amazing that you know, Light keeps them almost a stone's throw away from discovering that he is the true villain. And I think I commented on this in our first part that it's almost like Catch Me If You Can, the movie Catch Me If You Can, um, with Leonardo DiCaprio's character always getting to con his way out of certain situations, although being very close to getting caught. But yeah, in this case, he throws another wrench by having this random fanatic of kira pose as the as the true kira to keep suspicions away even though aizawa was like pretty much uh hitting the nail on the head by suspecting him yeah and i also found it very interesting that this is misa's last moment as a death note user for the rest of the show um it's it's kind of bittersweet because i enjoyed how she was able to support light's plan even though it was through a lot of manipulation um, but yeah, it was just, that's kind of like her last hurrah. And then she relinquishes ownership of the death note 
under the promise that she'll get to live a normal life as Light's wife. Yeah, she's kind of just thrown away at this point. Yeah. It's kind of sad. It's actually interesting that Light even keeps her around for as long as he does, especially after this final relinquishing of her death note, because at that point, did he really need to? I mean, I guess it would have been weird if she was suddenly gone when they've spent how many years together and he's on the task force. So, okay, Mm -hmm. fine, I get that part, but... I would have thought he would have been actively finding a way to get rid of her, um, some clever way to get rid of her. But yeah, he just never does. I think like he used up the, her utility by this point. But no, because <laughs> again, she can live for thousands of years if we are theorizing that correctly. And so she's just more of a liability at this point. But he just wants to keep her at bay while focusing on his on his mission. In episode 32, Selection, we learn through flashbacks that a bullied childhood caused Mikami-sama to become the ultimate bully by using God's plan by Drake to exact divine vengeance upon the world on Kira Queen's behalf. To fill out the unholy trinity, Mikami chooses Kiyomi Takada as Kira Queen's official spokesperson, who just happens to be Light's former college lover. Light uses the connection and sets up a meeting with her under the guise of benefiting the case against Kira. Elsewhere, Mellow Yellow keeps an eye on Misa so horny, but rules her to be too boring to be Kira Queen. Back at the meeting, Light reveals himself to Mikami-sama as the true Kira Queen via phone call, and they anime scheme to remove all surveillance items in the room for Light to reveal his identity to Takada and appoint her as goddess of the new world. Sorry, not sorry, Misa so horny. So I get that we, you know, we have Mikami's backstory and all that fun stuff. Um, and that he's the perfect choice for Light um, to fulfill his his ultimate goal. But this is kind of where some of the writing falters for me. And even, even before this, there were other instances of it. But here it's like this whole relationship, or lack thereof, I guess, between Mikami and Light, kind of makes me feel like the writing got, I, I don't want to use the word lazy, but it wasn't as tight as the first part of the show. And what I mean is he's so on point with Kira that he can basically predict his desires with little to no info. And to me, that's a bit of a stretch. Like Light is amazed by Mikami's ability to basically think and do literally what Light wants him to do without ever coming into contact. And I mean, to a T, to a T, exactly what he wants. And I'm skipping ahead here, but with Takata's death, he wrote not only her death, but the the exact same method of dying and within a one minute difference. Like, because I think the time was, there was like a timestamp or whatever. It was like a minute difference. Yeah. So to me, like, that's a bit of a stretch. That That's like literal telepathy at that point. Um, so there's other examples of this that I'll mention too, but here's when it kind of, with the introduction of Mikami, that's when I kind of felt like the writing was losing a bit of its edge. Just thinking through about that, um, again, Mikami's another case where we see the death note being used in a different purpose. Again, we saw it with Light at the very beginning where he wants to have this morbidly altruistic um, vision of clearing the world of criminals. And then we see Misa using it um, out of her own love for Light. Then we see Higuchi using it um, to exploit it for his own self-serving needs. And I would say here it's Mikami using it as like a fanatic who worships Light as a god and kind of abides by his will. And I think the intention is that Light chose him because out of these 
previous users of the Death Note, he is the one who is most aligned to his ideology, right? And again, it's more on a fanatical level, but I think that's where you kind of see Light's downfall because he thinks since, or since he believes that Mikami is so in tune with his own way of approaching things and his own ideologies that he would be a true successor to the the title of Kira to the point where, again, he overlooks the fact at the very end of this series that um, Mikami acted out of his own accord and kind of fucks up the situation in the end for light. Yeah, and that's like another piece of the whole Mikami puzzle where I'm like, the writing just is a little too convenient here. Um, the fact that Mikami just made himself publicly visible by attending mm-hmm. Kira rallies and things, that uh, that alone was enough for Light to be like, yes, this is the one guy who will literally do everything I say without even having to say it to him. And, I mean, that's a huge gamble for Light to just mail the fucking death note to some random dude he's never met before who just shows up to rallies and ho- hope that he's spot on. But it all works out for, for Light because apparently he can predict everything and knows everything and everything he thinks is correct except for a few instances in this show so again it's like this is where some of the the writing gets a little wobbly and i'm like "Uh, i don't know how much more or how much further i can you know suspend my disbelief and then the other thing is they reintroduced this minor character with takata which was kind of odd maybe it's a little bit full circle but Again, I think it's because Light is so quick to prioritize her over Misa because, as I said previously, Misa has just become more of a liability at this point, and he finds more utility with Takata now. So it's like, on, on to the next one. <laughs> I did appreciate, though, that Takata was somebody from his past versus just a random, like Mikami. Mm-hmm. But what's weird is, like, Misa gets introduced, and there's a reason, a very distinct reason why she is so obsessed with Kira. But for Takata, we get no sense of that in our first meeting of her um, back when they were, I guess, soft dating in college. But then suddenly, you know, a couple years later, she's like a Kira fanatic and she's the perfect person to be his spokesperson. It just, I don't know, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. I wish they would have dropped, and maybe they did. Maybe I just just don't remember because it's been a bit since we watched those episodes, but I would have wanted them to drop a couple of hints, like one or two hints in those earlier episodes that would later make us realize, oh, yes, she was the perfect spokesperson because we got XYZ when we first were introduced to her. Yeah, I think that's another issue with this part, um, having only 11 episodes, because there's a lot of story that can be made with these characters that were just introduced. It's just there's not enough time to really connect with them as we did with Elle and with Misa um, in the earlier parts. In episode 33, Scorn, Nier books a one-way ticket to Japan to fuck with Kira Queen, to which Light responds, challenge accepted, and pieces together that Kira's proxy has the Shinigami eyes power up and is using Takada to communicate with the real Kira. Speaking of which, Light instructs her to retrieve five pages of the Death Note from Mikami-sama and for the latter to continue working in a fake Death Note as he is monitored by SPK agent Giovanni. Takada later runs into a super jelly Misa Sohorni, and the two have an unproductive girl talk while Lidner, who sat in on the pathetic conversation, reports to Nier about the fucked up love triangle. Lastly, Giovanni seemingly confirms that Mikama-sama, 
Mikami-sama is the new Kira Queen. After witnessing him write in a notebook while nearby, a destructive drunkard does a definite death drop. Um, yeah, this face-off between Misa and Takata was interesting because I thought this was all part of Light's plan. I thought we were going to get a scene where he was like, perfect, it's all according to plan. Now they hate each other and they're having a bitch fight. But apparently it wasn't part of his plan because he was upset that Misa would react that way, but then he was equally upset that Takata would buy into it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I guess this wasn't part of his plan. It was just an excuse to see a cat fight. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) I did enjoy it, though. I will say it was funny because um, Takata is so buttoned up and Misa is, is very much a wild card. And she played her wild card part in this part. Mm-hmm. The only note I have in this one, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, as Nier uses Legos to identify the proxy Kira with the real Kira. And I very much enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's weird because eventually he switches to like these finger puppets. And for some reason, he's able to secure puppets that look like the characters of the series without having met the characters until the last or the second to last episode. Do you think that was kind of weird? Maybe they he had pictures of them in the database of some sort. I don't know. True. I mean, if L can build a fucking skyscraper in who knows how many days, I guess Nier has the resources to make a couple, a couple of finger puppets that look like the people involved in the case. It's like SpongeBob with the gangs all here. <laughs> in episode 34, Vigilance, Nier decides to keep Mikami-sama under close watch without alerting the Shinigami who may be following him. Meanwhile, Aizawa confirms that Light and Takata have been secretly communicating via notepad during their forbidden hotel excursions as the pair supposedly talk about capturing Kira Queen so that their love can run its course unopposed. Except for Misa Sohorni, but fuck that bitch. Speaking of which, Nier has the SPK apprehend Misa before her musical festival gig and informs Light so that she can steer clear out of everyone's way. Meanwhile, Giovanni does more snooping on Mikami-sama by taking photos of the handwriting in his notebook, and Nier puts his ultimate anime scheme in motion. I felt really bad for Giovanni through this whole tailing Mikami part because they're all like, yeah, you could die, but we need you to do this, please. (laughs) And he's going around taking, you know, pictures and touching a notebook that's all for naught because it's a fake notebook. He was so panicked about possibly (laughs) seeing the Shinigami. Like he was so nervous touching the notebook. And then he's like, well, I don't see anything yet. And I'm like, well, you're not going to because it's not real. (laughs) I feel like Giovanni is kind of the Matsuda of the SPK where he has to do all this dirty work. Just yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just way more buttoned up and way, way more, more competent cap- and way more capable because apparently he can do it all. <laughs> mm-hmm. In episode 35, Malice, with the assistance of a one-off Madaway driver, Mellow Yellow kidnaps Takata and interferes with Nier's and Light's plans for their respective teams to rendezvous at a specific place at a specific date at a specific standard time. After submitting to his initial demands, Takata eventually erases Mellow Yellow from existence using a piece of the Death Note hidden in her bra. Light rewards her handsomely by using his timepiece Death Note to cause her to self-immolate and remove all evidence of their shared misdeeds. Burn, baby burn, it's a Takadisco Inferno. Damn, he really killed her. Like, poor girl was crying when she realized she was just being used this whole time. When she was saying, like, but Light, I'm really scared right now. And he's like, just do what I told you. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, okay. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's sad. I mean, we've seen this before with him using Misa to her, his advantage, but it's here it's someone who's like pleading for them to to see them as as a, a true lover and he just as disre- a human yeah and then he just disregards it and just to use that person his own benefit i didn't expect mellow to be killed off so easily and as i mentioned earlier i i thought he was going to play a bigger part but then he just kind of faded into the background resurfaced for this episode or for this whole kidnap moment and then got killed off. And that was it. Yeah. I think the show, again, wanted to use him as a red herring where he, we think he is going to be a true thorn in the plans. But then Takata just kills him off. But then, again, later on, we realize that he does play an important part um, when it comes to how Nier is able to formulate his plan against um, Light in the end. But yeah, it was a, it was a really sudden death. Which is nice. I'm glad that there was some sort of redemption for Mello. Not that I cared much about his character, but that the two of them realized the only way they could ever match L's ability um, and pose a threat to Kira is by joining the power forces. of friendship. The power of friendship. <laughs> um, although one of them's dead and one of them's very much alive. But I, I don't know. Did Light really expect Mello to kidnap Takata? So sometimes the character's ability to predict what's going to happen is a bit much when it's spot on every fucking time. And I'm thinking again of light always being right, even about some of the smallest nuances or near being right about like every fucking thing, even though he's supposed to be a discount L it's just a bit tough to be as invested in the writing as I was in the beginning when there are these things that are just really big stretches and no real explanation behind them. And I'll, I'll get to that more when we talk about kind of our overall thoughts, but this was another moment where I was like, really? He really expected Mello to kidnap Takata with that much, like, with, with that much information or, uh, I guess, assumptions being correct about how the situation would unfold. He had such, like, a big margin of error and yet got it spot on. I think within the lore of the show, it's been five years that, like, had this role as like a criminal investigator so maybe he can read into the criminal minds pretty easily <laughs> i guess that's he a should, stretch i know that's a stretch he should be he should be a like psychologist or psychiatrist which whichever one mm-hmm. makes more sense um given how well he can read other human beings yeah but again within the scope of this being an anime it's it is hard to kind of suspend the disbelief of him having this intuition it's it's fine if once in a while the characters are able to predict something this spot on um just for the sake of moving the plot along but when it happens every fucking time i'm like man i'm a little i'm a little over it i kind of want something to go wrong at this point but again i'll I'll save it because i do have more to say on that um towards the end the only other comment i have about episode 35 is just noting the opening scene where it has these silhouettes of all these different characters where it's Light working at his desk, Misa playing cards with Mogi, um, Takata heading to the TV station, um, and all these other things. Like I thought it was just very similar to seeing characters in other 
like films or TV shows go about preparations for this big battle or even in like war or fantasy films. And I thought it was very symbolic because obviously with this being the third to last episode, we are entering the end game and there is this big epic, you could consider it a battle coming up like a battle of the minds with um, near and light finally confronting each other. Yeah. And overall, this final arc is really good. Um, there, I would say it, it slows down a little bit, kind of like there was, kind of like how there was a a slowdown in the pacing when Light relinquishes the ownership of the Death Note, and you kind of get that tone shift. But I think overall, this is a really, really intriguing part where it's more, it's more of a mind fuck, I think, than some of the earlier moments. But at this point, I'm kind of missing Ryuk and Misa. They're both still alive, but we barely yeah. see them. I really was hoping for more Ryuk and Misa time. And we got that that cat fight from Misa, but she just kind of pops in for a second for a quick bit of comic relief, and then that's it. And Ryuk is nowhere to be found. Yeah, he is significantly absent in this part. And it's kind of sad because, again, he he brings an extra scope to the series with his humor and with him kind of overseeing these situations. And I know we get a quick cameo of him, or two cameos of him in the final episode, but yeah, I was hoping for more Ryuk at this part. And we can't forget, he's literally the reason all of this is happening. He, mm-hmm. he got bored and decided to drop the Death Note into the human world. You know, I know that Light was bored, but he could have never grabbed the Death Note and never unleashed hell on the world. But yeah, all thanks to Ryuk, we have this saga. <laughs> yeah. In episode 36, 128, time for the big day. Light and Nier meet face to mask to face in an abandoned warehouse with their teams after ensuring Misa Sohorni is safe and sound and that Aizawa is entrusted with transporting the real Death Note. Confident in his abilities to successfully succeed, Nier reveals that with the arrival of the proxy Kira Queen, he has tampered with the notebook they are carrying and that they can confirm the identity of the real Kira Krabs by seeing whose name is not written in the book. Light tries to stifle his erection after anticipating Nier's plan, as we learn that he had Takata keep the real notebook while giving Mikami-sama the fake one. Mikami-sama enters the warehouse after writing a furious essay on who to fucking kill at a stoplight and counts down to everyone's doomsday as Light prematurely declares his victory. You fucking idiot. This has got to be one of the biggest cliffhangers in anime. Right up there alongside that AOT, Attack on Titan cliffhanger, and that Code Geass cliffhanger, for those of you who have watched both and Mm. know what we're talking about. This was insane. I mean, the they left off or they stopped the episode at the very fucking last second. The yes. literal last <laughs> second. I was like, damn, they really did that to us, huh? But it was great. It was a smart move as much as I hate cliffhangers. But I think the big giveaway that this wasn't going to go in Light's direction is that he falls for the oldest trick in the villain book by revealing his true identity too early before he actually can secure the victory. Although he did do that multiple times in the beginning of the show when he killed Naomi, Mm -hmm. right right before she got fully possessed by the Death Note, and then when Ray Pember was in the middle of his heart attack. I guess at that point he's having a heart attack, so yes, you you could say it's not But he's just over-eager here, and I get it. It's because Nier has been his biggest opponent since L, 
And so he really wants to rub it in Nier's face. But <laughs> it's like, it's too early to call that, friend. I love how they even took a moment to show us Light trying not to smile. He even says, like, I, I, I got to keep a straight face. I can't smile yet, even though I'm, you know, super excited to to win this battle. Mm-hmm. I was like, that that was a good little bit to add there just to show us, you know, what's really going through Light's head at this moment. This is also when Mikami does that really funny um, thing where he's like, Kami, you just get so excited when he can see Light's name but can't see his lifespan. And then he realizes that he's Kira. I just love when he says Kami. I think it's so funny. Like he's just, it's like a kid on <laughs> Christmas morning. He's like, Kami, oh my God. Or like any fanatic meeting their celebrity idol or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh he's a nut job, but he's uh at least cute in that moment, I guess. The only other note I have for this episode, and this is kind of a slight, but when Light calls near far inferior to L and that he has no right to stand where he stood, he's got a point, you know? <laughs> he kinda does. He kinda does. Sorry, Nier, but L is forever in our hearts. <laughs> And in the final episode for Death Note, episode 37, New World, after such a lengthy wait time for us as waiting for Netflix to load the next episode, we find that Mikami-sama's countdown is bust. Nier knew that Kira Queen would have double-crossed him thanks to a tip from Mellow Yellow, so he triple-crossed, quadruple-crossed, his plan by tampering with the real Death Note. With Mikami-sama restrained and a staggering amount of evidence against him, Light comes to his wit's end as he cackles maniacally and confesses his true identity as the queen of all Kiras. He makes a last-ditch effort to cancel everyone's lives with his timepiece death note, but Matsuda swiftly shoots him down alongside all his hopes and dreams of believing in his task force's dear leader. Mikami-sama and heroes to allow Light a chance to escape, but Ryuk returns after quite a lengthy absence to keep his promise from the start of the series and writes down Light's name in his personal death note. As Light slowly acquiesces to the next worst type of arrest, the cardiac arrest, we see flashes of Misa so horny in her Spongebob maid outfit preparing to anhero herself and a specter of L. Lock Holmes as he basks in his afterlife victory over the god of death who could not cheat death itself. Looks like there's no light at the end of this tunnel. Wow. (laughs) So I know Wait, that before what? you say anything, mm-hmm. before you say anything, can I sum up the climax of Light and Nier's face off with a Jojo quote? Sure. This one comes from part two from my favorite Jojo, Joseph Joestar, um, where he says, you may have outsmarted me, but I outsmarted your outsmarting. That was literally <laughs> this entire final episode when they were explaining how like, Light got the upper hand, and then how Nier got the upper hand. I was like, huh? <laughs> That's how I would describe this last episode, is well, the whole outsmarting thing. It was Nier who thought he had the upper hand, then Light who thought he had the upper hand, and, and then, then Nier, Nier had the upper, upper hand. Yeah. <laughs> so they outsmarted each other's outsmarting, it and is, then Nier came out on top. It is dick scheming at its finest. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know we have a lot to talk about with just figuring out how the upper handing had occurred. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to make a quick note with the significance of the 40 seconds. Um, I just thought it was interesting because this kind of bears another like significant religious connection. Again, it's just speaking from my own experience as a Catholic, there's like Jesus in the desert for 40 days or nights, the, the flood, 
like Noah's Ark going through the Great Flood for 40 days and nights, Moses and the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 days and nights. Um, and it's funny because I think 40 used to be a shorthand term for a long time, which was the previous episode was probably the longest 40 seconds of our lives as well as the lives of the characters in the show. Yeah. And it was interesting because I, I found this other thing explaining 40 from a website called Numerology Nation, which says that spiritually 40 is a sign of encouragement from the Alpha and Omega and a divine message sent to humans by the guardian angels themselves as a confirmation that they're on the right track with whatever goals they're about to attain, which I think applies a lot to Light's situation in this case where he this 40 seconds is like the culmination of his goal with finally getting rid of everyone that's against him but then we learned that that's not the case <laughs> so okay before we get into our thoughts should we try to recap what happened for everyone listening we spent like 20 30 minutes before we started recording just trying to wrap our heads around what the hell was explained to us in this last episode yeah we watched a couple of youtube videos where they were like we'll explain the ending of death note and then they made no fucking sense and then they're like but be sure to like and subscribe <laughs> first and then you looked up a couple of like r like summaries and they kind of made sense, but we actually had to talk through it mm -hmm. for it to click in our heads. And I don't know, maybe it's just because we're too small-brained for this show. But yeah, it, it took me a bit to kind of understand what's going on. So let's go through it. And if we're incorrect about any of this, please reach out to us and let us know. Because I want to fully understand how this all unfolded and how Nier ended up winning this big battle. So... If I understand correctly, the um, the whole reason that Light lost obviously is because of Mikami's mistake. But there's a couple things that led to Nier being able to get to this moment. And it's all around the, the fake death notes, right? Mm-hmm. So in anticipation of, I guess, Nier's team wanting to fuck with the death notes, Light instructed Mikami through Takata to create a fake death note to carry on him yes because they knew that he was being tailed or you know by by some means that his death note would be tampered with and so he was using it in public um and taking pictures of the victims to send to takata so she could actually kill them but he was faking out giovanni by writing the fake death note anyway to make it seem like he was killing people in public right mm -hmm. So then Giovanni was sneaking into Mikami's locker at the gym to not only touch the death note, but replace it with fake pages, knowing that he, I don't know, systematically or automatically would fill out one full page per day, right? Yes, because Light anticipated that and knew that he, Nier's team would grab the last page which would have been like the 28th page or whatever. And then that would give Nier's team false hope that they would not die because the last page is presumably a fake page, not knowing that the real death note was in the safe deposit box. And that was the one that Mikami brought to the warehouse, whatever the fuck they're, whatever yes, location that they're in. The wharf warehouse. The wharf, yeah. yeah. And so Nier then outsmarted Light's outsmarting by switching the real death note with a second fake death note and giving near possession of the real death note. And they did this because 
um, Mikami took his own action to kill Takata and broke his very strict routine by going to the bank twice in twice on the same day, which he never does. Twice over the course of a month. Because I think Giovanni mentioned that he would visit the bank on the 25th of every month. But in this circumstance, he visited again the day after, which was the 26th. Okay. So then Giovanni follows him to the bank on this second day um, that he's going for that month and notices that Mikami is acting a bit suspicious by looking around to make sure no one's following him. And that tips Giovanni off that that's the location of the real death note. So then Mikami then writes Takata's name and death in the real death note. But it doesn't matter anyway mm-hmm. because Light had already written the exact same somehow wrote the fucking exact same death one minute prior to <laughs> when Mikami does that. So anyways, that happens. Giovanni breaks into um, the the safe deposit box. Um, yeah. And then, I don't, I don't know if this is like spot on, but basically he, he recreates the same death note. The entire the death The entire note. death note. Not only the handwriting, but all of the, the wear and tear and the torn pages to a T in one single night. Again, this is another moment where I feel like the writing is faltering a little bit because mm-hmm. there's just no fucking way. You can tell me to, to to suspend my disbelief, but there's just no fucking way. Anyway, wait, and especially knowing that Mikami has the ability to look under a fucking microscope and confirm when the fake death note's tampered with. So how did he... I, I mean, to be that accurate where Mikami, who apparently can tell if something's been tampered with, can't tell that this is a fake death note, that's, that's pretty unbelievable. Unless... He was so confident that he had the real death note that he didn't want to waste time. Even bother looking. Yeah, that's a possibility. Okay. So then, anyway, he makes the, Giovanni makes this fake death note in one overnight and then switches it out for the real death note in the safe deposit box by breaking into the safe deposit box, which I'm sure is a very difficult task, and then hands near the real death note. And Light didn't realize this part of the puzzle because he had already secured Takata's death using his own death note. So he had no reason to suspect that Mikami did anything out of outside of his instructions because Takata died according to plan. Mm-hmm. And that's where the plan falls apart on Light's side, right? Yes. Because again, he thought that he and Mikami were so much in sync that he didn't worry about him. But that obviously... And he had no yeah. reason to suspect otherwise because, again, Takata died exactly the way he wrote in the death note, which is exactly the way Mikami wrote it in the death note, too, somehow. And therefore, he didn't even think of this possibility. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So hopefully that's correct. Again, if we're incorrect with any of those details, please reach out to us and let us know because I want to be as accurate as possible about death note. So with all of that said, all of that recapped... How do you feel about this ending? I mean, it's the greatest dick scheming that <laughs> we have ever seen. But for us to kind of just have to walk through it to understand it and then to have to, again, accept the thing with Gio- Giovanni, somehow having the ability to replicate this entire death note over the course of the night or whatever I don't know. Part of it is just hard to accept. And again, I know I've said like I love anime scheming, but this was like anime scheming beyond its normal <laughs> On level. steroids? Yeah. And so like I, I'm fine with it, but just 
having to have to walk through it kind of diminishes the epicness of it did you feel like at any point watching code geass you had to kind of like stop and process and just give yourself time to understand what was going on plenty of time yeah (laughs) so i guess it's not uncommon right with some of these crazy written stories even attack on titan i find like there's moments where i need to take a second and just re-watch what i just watched because i don't fully understand the lore or what's all happening especially when they started to reveal some stuff about the world in attack on titan i really needed time to kind of bring that all together so i guess it's not totally uncommon that we're doing that here with death note it's just explained to us so fast and like an Mm -hmm. information dump at the very last second i mean the last episode and it is a lot to process but i mean after the fact light is dead misa's about to an hero mikami actually did an hero um mello is dead who else used the death note higuchi higuchi's dead um anyone else use the death note chief technically <laughs> i mean he didn't write anyone's names in mm-hmm. the death note but he did have the shinigami eyes he's dead so at the end of all of this literally i think literally everyone who is who has used the death note minus of course the shinigami have died well even rem died <laughs> rem died right. too yeah. and, and she, jealous yeah jealous died too so literally the only person i guess that used the death note and didn't die is ryuk technically yeah so that's kind of interesting again if we're wrong here please let us know but i'm pretty sure everyone who has used the death note has written in the death note is dead takata also is dead and she used the death note so it just goes to show you that if you use the death note you're gonna die and if you don't use the death note you're still gonna die (laughs) (laughs) and this was just all for ryuk's entertainment yep this was him just watching a basketball game (laughs) (laughs) and i just love that you know, near summarizes like this whole experience for Light's demise with you lost the game. And I just remember that being a huge thing back in the early 2000s. I don't know if this was related to the Death Note, but you know how people would always say, I lost the game or you lost the game. And oh, everyone would just shit, yeah. be up in arms. The game. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that it was because of this, this epic loss in Death Note um on light's part but i that's probably far-fetched and now you and i have lost the game and everyone listening has now lost the game. yes sorry <laughs> folks i found it interesting that misa presumably committed suicide um i'm i'm wondering if this is her own doing after learning of light's death and that he was actually kira because by this point she's lost her memories or was this pre-planned on light's part and that he you know, he was expecting everyone in that wharf warehouse to die. Everyone who knew of the notebook's existence was going to die, right? So he had pre-planned Misa to kill herself mm. by writing her name in the death note. Because this actually, if it wasn't Light who wrote her name in the death note or anything like that, this actually undoes my theory about how the lifespans work. Because if she's supposed to live a really fucking long time because she's got both Jealous's lifespan and Rem's lifespan then there's no way that she would die by committing suicide at this point. Yeah, but it's only implied. We don't actually know if she did commit suicide. I mean, she could have jumped and then lived because she (laughs) got a really long lifespan. I don't know, but... It's like a Kenny from South Park situation where she just wakes up alive the next day. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it makes sense, though, that she presumably dies because she also used the death note and therefore, you know 
she needs to follow suit and and die because she's just as guilty of mass murder as these other people but i was just kind of thinking about that and like her lifespan's really long is she really gonna die now or is she supposed to live forever basically Mm -hmm. i think what's craziest about this entire show about this entire story is that light technically won against near he technically won this entire game but mikami is the one that fucked up so yeah he didn't win and <laughs> i mean talk about almost again kind of that same feeling of um l almost catching light like he's on his tail he's so close the entire time Light is so close to winning in this moment after everything that we've experienced in the show. And because some other dude fucked up, he has now lost not only the game, but his own life. And I think this part also plays into the fact that Nier is not quite as good as L. He's a discount L because he won on a fluke. He Mm. won by sheer luck. Had Mikami not done that, Nier would definitely be dead. Light definitely would have won. And it's also thanks to Melo for i guess kind of being a wild card too right (laughs) yeah with the whole like takata thing because they were like we needed him to write a name in the death note or some shit like that um but again light had anticipated all that Mm, yeah but you're right i guess if Melo hadn't kidnapped takata mikami wouldn't have acted on his own i guess the moral of the story here is just fucking do it yourself (laughs) don't (laughs) trust anyone else if you want something done right light just do it yourself Mm -hmm. And overall, I feel like this is a very fitting end on two parts. One is Ryuk being the one to kill Light, as he kind of said he would in the beginning of the show. Um, I think that's a perfect way to end his and Light's relationship. And I love that he said something along the lines of like, well, at least we were able to cure each other's boredom for a while. Because again, the entire premise of this classic anime is the boredom of light and ryuk which is still just super wild to me yeah, and props to ryuk for again just staying neutral in this whole mess even though he was the one who started it but yeah there's there's something very poetic about this ending and you know him again saying it was good while it lasted agreed and the other part too that makes us a a very fitting ending is light being brought to justice in the most embarrassing fashion he had always had such confidence and pretty much acted like he was untouchable but here he's put to shame real bad and makes himself look like a total ass he's tripping he's falling he gets shot a bunch of times he's freaking out just losing his shit right in front of Mm -hmm. everybody and yeah it's just sweet sweet justice not only him being caught but him looking like a total asshole (laughs) Yeah, it's a, a, a culmination of his just pure descent into madness. And I also like that, you know, in his last moments, um, he calls out for help. And I think he calls out specifically for Misa and Takada and says, like, what do I do now? And this is like one of the only situations where it's again, him needing someone else's help, but it's still just for his own selfish needs yeah so yeah you're self-serving you kind of deserve this kind of fate but the two things that i noted with the very end of this episode end of the series is this really long running montage that light goes through as you know it, it flashes his memories i just noted that the color style is a lot softer and the colors are less muted at this point 
And I think that's kind of signifying hope for a brighter tomorrow. I get like the title of this episode is new world, but it's not the new world that light envisions as Kira. It's actually a new world where, you know, people don't have to live in fear of this grip that Kira has um, over society and, you know, making sure that they have to stay in line in order to not be killed by this supernatural power. Right. So I thought it was very symbolic for the show at this point, because I know there are instances in the past where it's used kind of brighter colors, but this is where it was most significant, especially with, I think the sun setting in the background. Was it setting? Yeah, I think it was setting. I think so. Yeah. Um, as you know, lights trying to cling on to life. Um, the second thing that I noted was the final piece of music that plays, which is also kind of like a solemn but very hopeful piece that's played. And the title of it is Coda Death Note by the series composer Yoshihisa Hirano. And I know we've talked about, like, I think we talked with uh, Strictly Jojo about how, like, even though this is like we have these soundtracks from anime they could still be like these standalone pieces and you would have never known it and i think that's the case with this song just by how beautifully melodic it is and contrast to light's tragic ending because again it still symbolizes some kind of hope even though he's passing away at this point <laughs> and i think the evidence of that is i think towards the end of the song it plays a more upbeat version of a melody that we hear in that um, essay writing song, the low of solipsism. Oh yeah, I or solipsism. Too. Yeah, it's it's written in a major key. So again, shifting the tone to this this brighter future for everyone. And again, as tragic as Light's death is in this very dark show, it was very nice of them to end it melod or like musically on this positive note. And so. That brings us to our final thoughts for the entire series of Death Note. So, how many apples of my Shinigami eyes out of 10 would you give this anime? Okay, so this was tough um, because I wanted so badly to give this a 10 out of 10. I think it's deserving of a 10 out of 10, but I, I personally can't quite score it that high. Um, and there's two main reasons. I ended up giving it a 9.5 out of 10. So close, right? So close to a 10 out of 10. But the two reasons that I, it, to me, it falls short of a, you know, a masterpiece is one, it doesn't uphold the, the same intensity throughout the series that we get in the first part. That intensity that hooks you in right away. I know it's impossible to do that unless you're like fucking Code Geass and you're on a high the entire time. But as much as I enjoyed every moment of the show, there was something about the two slow down stretches. One being when, again, Light relinquishes ownership of the Death Note and we follow the Yotsuba arc. And then the um, the arc where he's avoiding Nier's guilty verdict in the final part. Those kind of took away a bit from the show as a whole. It's hard to admit because even though the pacing slowed down a bit, those were still very well-written parts. But like, I don't know, the, the intensity we got in the first part was amazing and the show couldn't quite sustain that. And we keep going back to that Light and Naomi showdown where it's literally just a walking episode, but it was one of the most suspenseful episodes of this entire show. 
And if they can do that with just two characters walking around, then I'm surprised they couldn't keep that that intensity going with some of the bigger moments with, again, Yotsuba and Light Showdown with Nier. So I think that that's one of the reasons. The other reason is, as I alluded to a couple of times, the believability somewhat went out the window in this final part after L died. At least when L and Light were facing off, they um, there were logical-ish explanations as to why L would suspect something or come to some sort of um, realization or conclusion. But in this final part, it's sort of like they stopped trying to explain anything and just say, Nier knows all of this and Light knows all of this and everyone can predict all these things that are like literally to a T, you know, with, with no errors at all. Um, and they're coming with the, coming up with these conclusions or with these predictions out of like thin air. They just always know. They just always know everything and it kind of dampens the intricacy of the writing that we get in the first section of the show. Um, side note to that, literally having everything go exactly according to Light's plans gets a little bit tiring because you get excited wondering like, how will Light get out of this next situation? Only to realize that he probably already has everything going exactly according to plan. And then he says, yes, it was all going exactly according to plan. And you're like, okay, well, all right then. So yeah, I mean, because of those two key things, it just falls short of a 10 out of 10. Um, but that's by no means, you know, me talking poorly about the series as a whole. It's fantastic. A 9.5 out of 10. Like it is, it is right up there with an Attack on Titan with a Code Geass. Just, it is one of one of the classics of anime and I finally understand why having finally watched it you know it only took us 15 years to do so but what would you give it out of 10 yeah you could fill all those final thoughts in a death (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I have very similar sentiments I would give this nine apples of my Shinigami eyes out of 10 and it is deserving to be called a classic it was a very enthralling thriller from start to end i think the story took its time building up the suspense and at the exposition and it just culminates in this very mind-blowing finale worthy of the hype but to as you mentioned there are still some minor concerns some minor issues with it there was the slow burn of the yotsuba arc which kind of took the series in a different direction which was kind of was refreshing but again it would it felt different from the death note that we had expected from the get-go of the series and then you have this third part where you know some of the characters that were introduced here are largely unforgettable and they don't have as much of an impact that characters like L or Chief Yagami or even Naomi had especially with that episode that you referred to earlier with the the long walking episode basically um and in terms of animation like the the quality of madhouse's work in here was okay but it felt like it was faltering a bit towards the end of the, the series until the climax with light and near um and then as again i love anime scheming but the anime scheming at the very end as epic as it was was almost a bit too much and again having to walk through it was kind of like a a flaw in itself i guess but i think these can all still be forgiven just considering how epic the overall story is from beginning to end and just witnessing light's descent into madness 
harkening back to again that timeless quote of absolute power corrupting absolutely and i think a huge testament to how influential this show is not just in the anime community but as a whole is i know there have been a lot of like copycat kiras out of there that have taken inspiration from this anime wait you mean fucking weebs who walk around with their death note not just that but i was just reading like articles of you know people who are trying to emulate like the ideologies of kira in here and obviously at least i hope there's no such thing as a real death note that has this supernatural supernatural power to kill people but i guess this is my psa god forbid if anyone does try to replicate light's heinous acts just remember how this show ends for him <laughs> and it's kind of like um that whole subreddit thanos did nothing wrong yeah although i think i think that's more of like a joke subreddit but <laughs> i don't know i've never ventured out there but yeah you know as again as virtuous as light's ideology is about ridding the world of of evil he is still inherently evil in what he does so i'm going to conclude my final thoughts with a reference to the goddamn dark fucking night you either die a fucking hero or you fucking live long enough to fucking see yourself become the fucking strong what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) and yeah that's that's my summary for this show sorry to see you go light but are you sorry (laughs) are we really sorry to see him go (laughs) maybe not it was a fun ride you know not that we were bored but it was fun for us to be on the on the ride it was a very enlightening ride i will say i do have one wish i guess it's not what really factored into my score it's just like a side note um i do wish that small moments made a bigger impact and what I mean by that is think about that moment when Aizawa walked past Light and Naomi when um, they were having their walking showdown or whatever. And then that moment where Elle saw Misa's hair move um, on the video during the interrogation. Or well, even um, the piece of the death note that ends up in the dump truck. Remember that? Yeah, that too. Or um, Watari's auto message that gets sent out after Rem kills him. You get that like... I think it's at the end of one of the episodes. Um, you see like this flashing light and you get a beep. And then all of a sudden it says like message sent or whatever or file sent. I can't remember what it said. But it seemed like it was an auto thing that sent files, important information out to somewhere. I would assume the orphanage. I don't know. Um, or Mello's photo. They like made a big deal about Mello's photo. And then he just shows up to Nier's place, which is supposed to be a hidden hideout and just asks for it back. And then he gives it back. <laughs> I, there's these little things that happen in the show that to me are really exciting. Like, oh, how is this character going to react to this later on? Or will this come back to bite this character in the ass? But then there's never any follow through. And there's so much potential behind these moments. Again, Aizawa walking past Light and Naomi when they're having their their battle or whatever. Um, I guess it's not really a battle, but you know what I mean? They're having their discussion. He could have like remembered that subconsciously when they're trying to figure out, you know, what happened to Naomi and Mm. said, well, wait, actually, I think I may have seen light talking to her, but maybe the whole point of these things is that, um, there's like, there's no perfection in this investigation. These small moments could have happened slightly a different way and blown the whole case open, but because they didn't we had the case unfold the way that it did. I don't know. I'm just trying to find some reasoning behind it, but those are really cool moments that I kind of wish were played on a little bit more. 
But overall, the show is incredible. I can't say enough about the brilliant writing, the amazing characters, the insane villain protagonist, antagonist. Um, and I love that by the end of it, we're still conflicted because the light reminds everyone that thanks to him, crime is down 70%. Mm -hmm. Wars have stopped. People are happier and safer. It's a really tough situation and a tough decision to make on what is right and what's wrong here. So it's it's super conflicting, and I love it. I love being left with this uneasy feeling by the end of the show. Yeah, at that point, it just presents a very interesting moral question about what we would do in this situation. Again, like what we would do with the power to kill anyone or how we would just view this investigation as a whole, whether or not killing criminals because they're evil is, is the right thing to do or if we need to pursue justice in a more equitable way. So I think that's you know one thing why this anime is not just epic for its story, but also just very influential with the moral question it brings up. And that brings up the question, should we watch the live action Death Note? Hell no. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I don't know if you're being serious or not, but hell no, I will not watch that. It got like... such bad reviews. <laughs> I'm kind of curious because I was rewatching the trailer. I mean, I, it looks awful. But... Wait, we're talking about the, the Netflix one, right? Not yes. the Japanese one? Yes, the Netflix okay. American adaptation. Yeah, hell adaptation. no, we're not watching that. <laughs> the only redeeming quality about that is that Willem Dafoe voices Ryu, which I think mm -hmm. is a perfect cast, but... No, no, thank you. Maybe I will, I will take one for the team and just watch it on yeah, my own. Yeah, you do that. You you <laughs> spend your time doing that and then report back to us on how that all panned out. <laughs> With, what is it, Light Turner? <laughs> Light Turner, oh, God. Oh, God. Well, I do want to close on one quick thing, unless you have anything else you want to add. Nope. And that one quick thing is Elle's name. I knew mm. Elle's name since, I don't know, since Death Note first premiered just because, you know, people would say his name or would write it. I didn't know it was a big thing in the show that it, like his real name was secret. So it's L. Lolliot. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. But it's um, L. Lolliot. And I thought at some point it would have been revealed in the show, but it never was. So I was scratching my head thinking, how the fuck did everybody know his name when they never even said it in the show? And I did some digging, and apparently it's not even really revealed in the manga, but it's revealed in, like, a, I don't know if it's an extension of the manga or something separate, but something called Death Note 13, which is some sort of guidebook on how to use the Death Note, mm -hmm. it's revealed in there, if I read correctly, on Wikipedia. I don't know how it's revealed there, but I guess that's how everyone figured out Elle's name. And I don't know if I like or dislike that they never revealed Elle's name in the show. Because they revealed Mello's name and Nier's name, everyone else's name, just never else. I think it would have been fine not knowing his name because he's already just a very mysterious character and like an almost like an unknown or anonymous. Like I like that there's that mystery behind him, so I could go without knowing his name. That's true. It's interesting that his first name is literally just the letter <laughs> L. That I mean, if you want to throw someone off the trail of your real name, that's the way to do it. You make them think that L's your your nickname and it's actually your real name the entire time. It's so like trying to figure out someone's passcode to something and it's just four zeros. Yeah, <laughs> or it's one, two, three, four or something like that. Yeah. Well, now we know. Well, I'm sure everyone already knew well before us, but... We know that L's real name is L. Lolliot. Rest in peace. 
the creepiest, best detective who eats a lot of sweets. Yeah, this L finally got his W. And that wraps up episode 48 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.